The Old Testament reading today is Psalm 150 and can be found on page 627 in the Bibles. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has praise has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. And it can be found on page... 979 in your pew Bibles. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman. Um, This is our last Sunday uh, talking about the realized kingdom of God, the ways in which the kingdom of God is here now. Um, I'm kind of glad that I got laryngitis last week uh, because it made space for that lovely open mic. Uh, If you were here for that, I was on Zoom. um, And I loved hearing you all talk about the ways that you have seen the kingdom of God in your midst. I kind of wish those... uh, Conversations were a little more every day. Um, you can probably hear, I still have a little laryngitis. My, uh, my voice is a little more sultry. Uh, <laughs> um, I had to like go down an octave to be able to sing this morning. Um, but I'm okay, I'm okay, so don't be distracted by it. Um, anyway, I wish that those conversations about where we see the kingdom were a little bit more commonplace. Partly because my understanding of all of this has changed quite a bit. Um, I used to think that the world was mostly broken. um, That sin was the truest thing about it. And I don't think that anymore. And now I think the balance is something more like the kingdom of God is everywhere. And also sin and brokenness. Um, And I think our parable today actually kind of begins that way. The kingdom of heaven, that's just another way of saying the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. It's not just the man or the seed or the field, it is all of them. 
Later, Jesus will explain that the man is God and the, feed is, the field is the world and the seed are the people of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like God who had the whole world and put good people in it. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1. Um, Genesis 1 verse 31 says, and God saw all that he had made and it was very good. All of it, very good. A few weeks ago, we defined the kingdom of God as any place where God is in charge, where what God says goes. In Genesis 1 and 2, that was the whole of creation, everything. And so much of that goodness remains. Actually, every good thing that we know exists because of that initial goodness and God's continuing generosity towards us. Whenever we live, whenever we live in harmony with that goodness, not fighting against it, but moving along with it, whenever we do that, we can see something of the kingdom of God. We can live in that kingdom now, and it is everywhere. And when we live in harmony with it, its abundance is just so clear. Um, a friend of mine named Ellie taught me how to think about food in a Christian way when we were in seminary. Uh, I still remember the sentence that convinced me that I should care about where my food comes from. She asked, was the chicken allowed to be a chicken? And for us, you know, in seminary, everything is a theological conversation. Um, so here's how that thinking goes, right? We believe that God creates with intention, that the world is charged with the grandeur of God, as Gerard Manley Hopkins puts it, that every inch of creation speaks of the glory of God. Uh, our one of our confessions has it that it is the first book of God's revelation. Even a chicken speaks of the glory of God just by being a chicken. In all its clucks and feathers and that like weird head bob kind of walk. In another poem, um, Hopkins, he's a priest and a poet, or was, um, in another poem, Hopkins says that each mortal thing does one thing and the same, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. The chicken came to be a chicken to the glory of God. And so does my eating allow that chicken to glorify God in all its chickenness, or no? Like, it's a good question. Turns out, when you pack chickens into tight cages and pump them full of antibiotics and force them to lay more eggs than their little bodies can handle, the eggs aren't as good for you. And it pollutes the land, and the chickens suffer and die early. But if you let those same hens run free, pooping all over God's good earth and picking at bugs and weeds, then the eggs are healthier for you. And there's more nutrients in there. And the chickens will fertilize and aerate the soil and deal with pests, making the vegetables that you might grow there healthier too. The lives of chickens, enriching the life around them with all of their glorious chickenness. God's good creation, including us, flourishes together. When we live in harmony with God's good creation, the abundance is clear. And of course we hear all sorts of different about we hear about that in all sorts of different ways through the rest of scripture especially as we are taught to live in harmony with one another which of course is just another part of living in harmony with God's creation 
And so when we are generous and honest and keep our promises, when we are grateful for what God gives, or you could say those things in another words, when we are obedient to God's commands in the Sermon on the Mount, when we do all these things, it turns out that our relationships are healthier and our bodies are healthier too. Like science bears out creation's abundance and the wisdom of God. It bears out the kingdom of God in the soil and in the cells of this good earth. The kingdom of God, it turns out, is extremely accessible. It is everywhere. And while there are harsh texts, including the one in scripture, including the one we just read this morning, about the divide between good and evil, living into God's kingdom isn't actually that complicated either. Like Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. Like we may need some heart reshaping to get to these, but they're not like arduous. Act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with God. Or in Luke 3, when John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus, he preaches this very fire and brimstone sounding sermon. The axe is already at the root of the tree and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And when the people like, go wide-eyed and ask what they should do, he doesn't give them heroics. Jesus' answers, or John's answers are simple. The crowds say like, what should we do? And he says, share. And the tax collector asks, well, what should I do? And he says, well, don't take more money than you're supposed to. And the soldier asks, well, what should I do? And John says, don't exploit people. It's actually quite simple. Even Jesus' more encompassing commands like love one another or even love your enemies or um, that we have to forgive. They are certainly more difficult And yet, if you manage them, what you get is love and freedom. No longer tortured by hatred and bitterness. Love is certainly more pleasant than hate. More life-giving, more hopeful, more creative, more joyful, less isolating. It is all right here with us. The kingdom of God is at our fingertips. Like we heard in people's testimonies last week, it is right here in our midst. And there are so many ways to engage it. Like love your kids, love your friends, love anyone and everyone. Like look at the face of the person next to you. Like really, do it. Look at the face of the person next to you. That face was made by God on purpose with joy delight in that face and there is the kingdom and my friend hildy um all my friends are in this sermon uh, my friend hildy wrote a, uh, an article for a newsletter uh, of an intentional community that she used to belong to in ontario it's called the madonna house um, she's catholic uh, Her article was essentially an extended thank you letter to the people that she encountered encountered there, who she says were so entirely themselves. She writes of this one woman, I saw that Mary was unequivocally and unapologetically herself. 
She possessed a quality of being, rooted in the source of all being, or what Hopkins refers to as the dearest freshness deep down things. Hilde writes about how the daily surrender of these saints led them not to being less themselves, some kind of forced compliance, but to them being more completely themselves than ever. To embody the dearest freshness, deep down things of the kingdom of God and God's creation. Because the kingdom is not far off. It is not far off. You don't have to find virtue somewhere else and somehow add it to yourself. The goodness of God is already what you were made for. And you are a bearer of the Holy Spirit. It's more like you have to relax into it. Stop fighting so hard for everything. You were made to be exactly who you were made to be. To the glory of God. What I do is me, for that I came, just like the chicken. The kingdom of God is within you and in your midst. There are so many ways to engage it. Tend the earth. That was our original calling, and all of creation groans, waiting for the children of God to return to it. Tend and keep God's good creation, and there is the kingdom. It's not at all surprising that so many people say that they experience God in nature. We shouldn't be worried about that. That was where the first humans experienced God, in the garden. And every speck of it was shaped and formed by God's creativity, love, and delight. Imagine that what you see is intended to, imagine that all that you see is intended to be delighted in, to be cherished, and to be nurtured. And there is God's kingdom. There is abundance in every direction. It is not far off. It is the farmer and the field and the good seed. This is the now of the kingdom of God. Made more infinitely accessible to us through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension through the giving of the Holy Spirit. If you might ever have believed that there was something that could somehow bar you from access to God's good kingdom, God th broke through all those barriers in Jesus. Coming towards us in his person, entering into God's own creation, entering into our pain, bearing even our sin, making a way even through death, rising again and bringing even flesh into the Godhead. There is nothing to bar you from the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here and it is yours to enjoy. The trouble, the trouble of course, is um, that we always engage the now of the kingdom in the midst of the not yet of the kingdom. We always engage it in the midst of sin and death. So even though this world is so overwhelmingly full of the goodness of God, it is still acutely painful. And actually the pain is only so painful because the good is so good. Right? The two are tied together. 
So sometimes loving your kids looks like delight and gratitude and joy. And sometimes it looks like watching your very heart make decisions that will harm them and not being able to intervene. Or having them hate you for the ways that, they try, that you try to protect them or for the mistakes that you make or terror of all terrors. Sometimes it means mourning their death. Sometimes our love looks like joy and sometimes it is the deepest of grief. Or sometimes living justly looks like things are exactly as they should be. And people doing meaningful work, being able to get all of the things that they need, going home to en enjoy their lives. And sometimes acting justly looks like protest and ad advocacy and fighting against unjust systems, even as you know and confess that you participate in those systems and benefit from them. Sometimes life is as simple as enjoying the goodness before you. And sometimes you know that that goodness is there, but you can't access it. Because whatever is happening in your body or in your mind or in your gut flora means that you live in anxiety and depression. Despite the goodness all around. And that pain is made all the more painful because you know the good is so good. And why can't you get there? Sometimes virtue looks like everything flourishing all around you. Healthy relationships and a sense of meaning and gratitude in your days and a deep connection with God and a sense of purpose and hope and celebration. And sometimes, sometimes a life of virtue leads to the cross. Sometimes following Jesus into the kingdom of God is excruciating. So yes, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the pure in heart, and also, blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Which is probably why the kingdom is also described as a mustard seed and a treasure buried in a field, because despite the abundance of goodness, Sometimes it can be really hard to see. Because sometimes insisting on the now of the kingdom of God in the midst of the not yet looks like Dr. King walking courageously towards his own execution. I have been to the mountaintop, he, has, he said. I have seen the promised land, and I may not get there with you. He spoke those words the day before he was, he was shot. Sometimes insisting on the now of the kingdom of God looks like Mother Teresa giving her life to the, to the poor and dying in Calcutta. Or John the Baptist in prison wondering if Jesus really is the one or if maybe there might be something more. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. 
The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because you are, while you are pulling out the weeds, you may uproot the, weed with, the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And here is the problem of evil in this world. Lord, do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? No, because we will lose the wheat. For a time, it seems, the wheat and the weeds must grow together in God's good field. All this goodness must exist together with the brokenness in order to preserve the goodness. Stanley Harawas says of this parable, to be drawn into the kingdom of heaven is to participate in God's patience toward creation. It is to participate in God's patience toward creation. Now, I'm not gonna pretend that I understand how all of this works, but it certainly makes sense in my experience of the world. And I think it is a source for us of both hope and mission. Mission because, um, because we can know that all that is broken in this world is not like a mistake or overlooked or forgotten by God, but is somehow part of the process of restoration. It's still here because the restoration is coming. And it is God's patience, not God's inability or apathy that makes the world as it is. And in the midst of all of that, we are called to be salt and light to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, both here now in our midst and coming. We get to be the people determined to confront the, the brokenness of this world in kingdom ways, responding with compassion and love, generosity and truth, insisting on the dignity of all people, insisting that the goodness is actually what is most true about everything, insisting that it will all be made whole. Our mission is to live the now, no matter what it brings. And, it's our, and it brings hope, too. Because while the goodness is abundant now, this isn't all there is. There's still more to come. There will be a time when Christ will gather all things to himself. When the kingdom of God will come on earth as fully as it is in heaven. There will be a time when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. We grieve in this world certainly but not as those who have no hope. Because God's kingdom is here now. And it is coming. Please pray with me.
Lord God, may the, the knowledge of your coming give us freedom to attend to what is good and whole now. Knowing that you will make all things right. Lord, may the knowledge of your kingdom here now give us courage to live in such a way that seeks the flourishing of all the good things that you have made, that refuses to take on the tactics of violence and oppression and Uh, because you are bringing your kingdom. It's not up to us. But Lord, that we would may, may we live in it fully now in whatever ways you call us to. Open our eyes, Lord, that we would see it. In Jesus' name, amen.